Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Sometimes, like when you're on Highway 17, those are big cement dividers, right? Those are the ones that are really, really strong and really, really powerful. And then every once in a while, you find like uh, little guardrails that are pathetic and puny, like, like I told you about one that was a stick and a rope. And on the other side, there was a cliff. And I thought, that's doing me no good right there. Like I'll, that golf cart will go straight through that little rope right there. So, uh, you know, so, so you have these guardrails in life and you want a really good guardrail because what we talked about was it's not that we want practical guardrails in life for our cars, although that's true. What we actually want to do is apply the principle of guardrails to our personal life because we know this, that when we start making decisions, when we start living life, there are cliffs there are edges. Sometimes we make really bad decisions. We start getting on bad paths. We do something wrong and we fall off the edge into something that it ends up wreaking havoc on our finances, on our marriage, on our kids, on our future. It just, uh, it, you name it, it can start to unravel on you real quick. And so we need guardrails. We need something that keeps us in. But here's the thing again, guardrails are not in the danger zone, right? Like there'd be no point in having a guardrail at the bottom of the cliff. That'd do you no good, right? You, you, you actually want the guardrail like a few feet or a few yards away from the edge. And that way, if you hit the guardrail, that does less damage than if you actually go over the edge with your life. And so that's the type of guardrail that we're talking about. Something in our personal life that we establish. There's usually not going to be a scripture for this, by the way. But it's a guardrail that you establish so that if you ever get too close and you bump into that guardrail, something goes off in your conscience and you're like, whoa, 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 I'm getting kind of close there. I need to be careful. I need to back up. Some damage has started to take place. And we talked about this, that funny enough, the two biggest areas that you and I need guardrails, this isn't you and me, this is humanity, by the way, the, 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 the people that, that need guardrails the most need it in the area of sex and money. And if you miss those two, you need to go watch online or get the podcast or whatever you do. But like, I'm telling you, it, it's just, it's worth the price of admission. So when you go talk about sex, what you find is this, is that we, it's easy because of desire and passion and lust and all kinds of things. And the way our culture is, it's easy just to want to go way over there. And so the apostle Paul gives us the ultimate guardrail when it comes to our sexuality. He says this, he says basically that the ultimate, the, the ultimate guardrail when it comes to our sexuality is to they just run. He goes, yeah, you, you stink. You're not very strong. You have weak convictions when it comes to this. So the point is not to get as close as you can and then be strong. The goal would be to get as far away as you possibly could and just be wise. That, that would be the goal. So he says flee. And so when you think about whatever tempts you in the arena of, of sexuality, whether you're married or single, and you start applying what the Bible would teach about Obviously, like the Bible would say like, hey, that's your wife. You don't sleep with other people. Um, hey, this is your husband. You don't sleep with other people. Hey, you're single. Guard your sexuality. There's all kinds of different things that the Bible has to say about it. So the apostle Paul is saying, flee, run, 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 run. The other area that was really important was in the area of our money. And he gives you a, a slightly different thing. He said the ultimate guardrail when it comes to your money is to reprioritize your financial world with God at the top. And we talked about this like really, really simple application of you live a life where you give first, you save second, and then you live off the rest. And what that does is that prevents you become, from becoming really a hoarder or a consumer. What it does is it puts your focus on God first. And here's why this is so important when you look at these two areas. That if you look at our deepest regrets, our biggest mistakes are usually in the area of sex and money. It just really is. And what, what's, even the Bible kind of explains it like this. 
the Apostle Paul says sex is unlike any other sin because all other sins outside of the body, but there's something about sexual sin that happens inside of you. It's more damaging, so be more careful. And then Jesus said this about money. He said nothing else would compete for the throne of your heart like stuff would, like money, possessions, material, like nothing. That's what, I didn't say this. So you can't be like, Todd, other things compete. I'm like, no, no, Jesus said this. He said nothing would compete for your heart more than your stuff. So be on alert and be careful when it comes to this idea called guardrails. Create these things in your life that say, hey, I'm not going to go too far this way. I'm not going to go too far that way before I bump into something that alerts or alarms my conscience. Are you tracking with me so far? So the question I have for you today is this, is, is where else do I need guardrails? Like, we talked about like sex and money, but the reality is this, is like some of us need guardrails with our friends. Now, I, I know that that would be easy to discount because we're all adults now, right? And this is what we teach our children, right? If you, if you got kids, especially if you got like teenage kids or young kids, you're like, hey, be careful who your friends are. I don't think I like you hanging out with him. You know, like, like whatever we, I had a friend um, that I knew that if I hung out with him, that I'd eventually participate into illegal activities, Right? And so my point is that, that, that sometimes you don't need to like try to hang out with your buddy and then be super strong. The point would be to say, hey, look, if I hang out with these people, or the Bible would just say it like this. If you walk with the wise, you'll gain wisdom. But if you walk with idiots, your life wreaks craziness. So like you will reap all that stuff in your life. It doesn't say if you hang out with dumb people, you get dumber. It says you hang out with dumb people and you reap drama. And you know what I'm talking about. You know that you've got certain friends that if you hung out with them, it's going to get, there's drama, there's chaos, there's craziness, somebody's calling the cops, whatever it is. But like, so, so are there any friends where you need some guardrails? What about in your parenting? Is there any, is there anything in your parenting where like you, you say, no, I know that I go this far. I get too loud. I yell, I scream, I start, do I get, do I ever cross lines that are wrong of me to cross? Maybe it's on the other end. Maybe you're like, no, no, I'm an enabler. I let them do whatever, say whatever. They get away with whatever. Where, where are they needing to be bound? In your work life? I'm telling you, like some of us, we, you know, I, I talked to a gentleman um, this past week. And he said, Pastor, you'd be so proud of me because I've been working on this. But I have been home or earlier than 6 p.m. every night for like three weeks straight. This is something I've been working on because what, what he would do is he would just work late, 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 then bring his laptop home and work in bed. And just he was consumed by work unnecessarily. He said, this is just an area of my life where my marriage is suffering. My kids are suffering. This is an area that, that and I need a guardrail. It was something that we talked about, but he's, he's winning at it right now. Is there any workplace environment? Hey, is there just any environments? You ever think about this? Um, there's just certain places you don't want to go depending on who you are. Like if you struggle with alcohol, you, you shouldn't hang out at a bar. You know what I mean? If you're married, you shouldn't be up in the strip club. You know what I'm saying? If you're single, you shouldn't be up in the strip club. If you're an exotic dancer, you shouldn't be in a strip club. No one should really be in any way up in a strip club. If you ever wondered, like, where does pastor stand on strip clubs? Now you know. But like, even like, you think about that. You think about like, okay, look, look, if you're, if you're a married dude uh, and, and you're, you, you shouldn't be walking the Vegas Strip at 2 a.m. You're stupid. I love you. This is your pastor talking. But like, there's certain environments you don't put yourself. Are there any places that you know, and some of you are like, you know, you're resisting me. You're, 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 so so let, me, let me help you out. Okay, okay. Because this is what I know about you. There's something within us as human nature and human beings to want to resist and to kick back. Like the inner teenager in us gets ruffled up when pastor starts talking tough. You know what I'm talking about? We're like, you're not going to tell me what to do. 
Remember that when you were a kid? Like, my mom's dumb. My dad doesn't know. You're like, pastor, you don't know. You work at a church. You know, that, there's, there's a kickback. So, so let, me just, let me just dive into the kickback. Can I do that? Let me just, let me just walk with you this. You can look at all my guardrails and say, like, pastor, okay, you're kind of square. You're a fuddy-duddy. You're, 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 you're kind of religious. You don't have to live that way. You know, we talked about that, that like, married people, you, if you're married, you shouldn't go have um, lunch and dinner with the opposite sex. You shouldn't be riding or traveling with the opposite sex. You shouldn't put yourself in those environments. And people keep like, well, that's just not realistic. Well, no, it is. You can do it. Like, you can create guardrails that you know will create wisdom in your life. Now, you can't find a Bible verse for that. You can't find a Bible verse that says don't go have lunch with the opposite sex. You can't, there's, no, there's no verse, okay? So you can't say, Pastor, that's not, I know it's not in the Bible. But what the Apostle Paul talks about is that you're never asking the question, is that sin or not? You're asking the question, is that wise or not? That's the difference. Where, where, where is it wise? Because here's the deal. You can take all these guardrails that I'm talking about and say, Todd, I ain't doing it. I'm a free spirit and I'll do what I want and live how I want. That's fine, but here's what you need to know. You'll still run into tension somewhere. Because somewhere inside of you, whether you like it or not or admit it or not, there's a line. There's a conviction of you at some point. Let, let me give you an example. Let's say you're a married guy and you disregard the whole thing about not traveling with the opposite sex. But see, there's tension somewhere. Because then all of a sudden you are with somebody, and then, and then it escalates. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, well do I go inside for a, a cup of coffee? Do, do I go inside for a nightcap? We know what that means. Do, do I? Okay, well, well I, I did, I did, but there's a little bit of tension there. Well, 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 well do I go upstairs? Do I, do I, is there, there's tension somewhere. Do you get my point? At some point, you will bump into something that bothers your conscience, that alerts you that you're doing something wrong. That's within all of us. It's hardwired in. It's a part of the divine DNA that we all have a conviction somewhere. My point would just be this. If you're going to run into tension somewhere, why don't you back that thing up where you're at least bumping into the tension over in the realm of wisdom. Now, the second thing I'll tell you about Mr. Kickback, here's, here's what I know about you too. Let's say that you give in. Let's say you totally go over the edge. Let's say you totally cross the line. You know what your problem is now? Now you'll end up with an out of control appetite. Because once you have a little bit, it's easier to say yes the second time and then to say yes the third time. It's, 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 you, ever, you ever tried to diet before? And then you cheat your diet? Isn't it easier to cheat the diet the second time? And like, well, I already cheated once. I might as well, I might as well make a weekend of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, so in, in any arena where you have a guardrail and then you cheat the guardrail, you just feed the beast. You're feeding the appetite. You're more likely to get in there and get after it again and go for it again and cross those lines again and say, you know what, I've already failed. I might as well just keep going or I've already done it a little bit. A little bit more won't hurt. There's always going to be tension, which leads us to this. If there's always going to be tension, if you'll just trust me and go ahead and establish a guardrail, you know what the, really the next question becomes? How do I keep these guardrails? Todd, it's good that you say this and it's wise and you're probably right. And I'll admit that you're right. I don't know if I actually follow through and do it. I know you're right. But let's just say for a second that you do establish this guardrail. How do you keep it? Because how many of you have ever established a guardrail and then broke it? Or established a goal and then didn't achieve? Are you, you said that New Year's resolution and it lasted three days, right? So you... you there's a habit in there of maybe us establishing things but not following through. And what I want to do today to wrap this series up is simply just walk you through this incredible, simple little story from Daniel chapter 1 about a young man who establishes a really kind of odd and seemingly insi insignificant guardrail 
but it's huge how it turns out. So do this with me. If you have your Bible, go to Daniel chapter one, and let me give you the, the context real quick here. So this is like after King David and King Solomon, the, the, the Israel split into two nations. They both go in and out of sin and craziness, and eventually other kingdoms conquer them. So one of the king, kingdoms that conquered Israel was this kingdom called the Babylonian Empire. And it was run by this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And so what he was, and this is all, you gotta remember the Bible doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists within a historical backdrop. And the historical backdrop is this, is Babylonian empire was the largest, biggest, most dominant empire in the region and in the area, really in the world at that point in time. And so they, what they had though, there was this brilliant idea. Nebuchadnezzar said this, every time we conquer people, number one, we're stealing their gods. So whatever statues or things they had, they would steal the gods. And then they would take the smartest, brightest, best, and good-looking people they could. It was real funny to put there. Like, they only took good-looking people. Um, Nebuchadnezzar had an image issue. But he wanted the smartest, brightest, and best-looking people, and he would take them. And he would say, y'all are going to come and serve me, and I'm going to give you training and teaching, and I'm going like, to like make sure that you're the smartest people in the world, and you guys are going to be close to me and be advisors and counselors. So when they ransacked Israel, they took back some of the best and the brightest. And this is where you hear, if you grew up in church, you may have heard stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What cool names, right? But the other guy was a guy named Daniel, which the book is written after. And his name wasn't actually Daniel. His name was Belshazzar. And then he was given the name Daniel. And so these guys are taken in to Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, and they're going to be taught and trained and raised up in this new world so they can be the best and the brightest and smartest. You with me? Everybody say, all right? And this is what happens. So the Bible says that the king, this is verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. Now, how many know if that's the food that the king's eating? That's some good food. That's some ribs. You know what I'm saying? That's some chicken. That's some, that's some, some barbecue. That's, some, that's some, some prime rib. I don't know what he ate, but I bet it was good because he's the king. So the Bible says that they gave these guys what the king ate and of the wine that he drank. So that's not that box stuff. You know what I'm saying? That's that stuff that like, they're like, oh, this is from, this is in 1984. So anyway, that's the good stuff. And then not only did they have good food and not only did they have good wine to drink, they were educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So you see, there's almost like a, this is almost like the bachelorette. You know what I mean? Where like one of them going to get a rose. <laughs> You know, like who's the, because it's almost like this school of training and then we're going to see out of this school of training who the smartest and brightest are and then I'm really going to take them up a notch. But, everybody say but. But Daniel resolved. I want you to think about that. He resolved that he would not defile himself. So, so he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to Everybody say defile. Now, I don't know about you, but that's rude. Because if you came up into my house and I was serving you food and then you were like, you know what? Can you please make me a salad? Like if I, you know, if I grilled for you and then all of a sudden you're like, I don't want to defile myself with your swine. Can I have a salad? I would be offended at you, right? And Daniel is risking a lot here because he's rolling up saying, I don't want your ribs and your 1984 whatever. I, I, you know what I want? And he goes, you know what he tells? It's insane. He said, give me some vegetables. This is exactly what he does. He says, give me a salad. But we'll, we'll read that in a second. So verse nine says this. 
And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief and the eunuch. So I want you to see this, is that Daniel, what, what he does is he recognizes, all right, they done, they done stole me up out of my home. They're changing my clothes. They're changing my language. They're changing my education. Bless God, they done changed my name. I used to be Belshazzar. They used to call me, what's up, B-Money? And they used to call me Belshazzar. And now I'm Daniel. So like, they're changing everything about me. And I'm going down a road where I'm, they're trying to literally obliterate everything within me that was connected to God. Everything in me culturally, historically, religiously that was connected to God. They're trying to take it away and shape me into this whole new person. But right here, right now, I'm going to draw a line when it comes to ribs. I'm going to draw a line when it comes to your food and your wine. I'm drawing a guardrail because I can see a slippery slope happening where I'm becoming somebody other than who God intended me to be. And in light of this guardrail, God, God shows up. So you just need to know this. I'm going to give you this thought. I believe that when you create a guardrail, God shows up on your behalf. That literally what God does is, is that God recognizes, no, this is a guy of wisdom. Because you, you know what happens with people that are really, really wise? You trust them. And so Daniel shows up and creates this guardrail, and God's like, mm, that's, my, that's my boy right there. And so I'm going to show up on his behalf. I'm going to move heaven and earth on his behalf. I'm going to give him favor and influence, and I'm going to make sure other people are compassionate and going out of their way to help him because this kid is wise, and he's establishing guardrails. Verse 17 says this, and it says, as for these use, or as, as for these four use, the four use were Daniel, Meshach, Rad, Shadrach, that dude, other people. So God gave them, notice they didn't get it from their education. Where did it come from? God gave it to them. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So God literally, I want you to get your head wrapped around this. God takes this kid and he establishes this guardrail. And then God's like, man, I think I can trust this guy. I think I can use this guy. I can do great things through this guy. I can do incredible. Watch what happens when you do this. And so God takes this kid who makes a simple little guardrail and says, no, I'm not going to go down that road. At some point, I'm going to draw a line. I'm going to draw a guardrail and I'm not going to be like the world is. I'm going to be different. I'm going to stay connected to God. And for me to stay connected to God, it will mean and require me to say no many times to the things of this world. And so in light of that, God gives them favor with people, but then he's the one increasing their knowledge and understanding and even their gifting. Verse 19, and the king spoke with them and among all of them, meaning all these kids that graduated the super school of Nebuchadnezzar, of all of them, none was found like Daniel. Now, a couple, couple things that, that are really, really important about this is number one is this, is that God used this simple guardrail to set up Daniel for an incredible journey. Like the whole journey, like if you've never read the book of Daniel, that's fine. Let me give you some highlights. So there's a really cool story about like Daniel and the lion's den. Remember that one? That happens after this. Remember, this is chapter one reading. Daniel goes on to advise the king. He goes on to be a governor. He goes on to serve the king. And he goes on to do incredible things. And at some point, somebody tries to thwart him and throw him and get him in trouble. And he, Daniel ends up in a lion den and God saves his incredible story. There's another story where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember those dudes? They get thrown into a fiery furnace and there's this incredible story. There's another story. Remember the story where it says, and the hand was writing on the wall? That comes from the book of Daniel. So if you ever were watching a sports game and the announcer was biblically savvy, Dude knocks down a three-pointer, makes it a, you know, an, a, a nine-point game with three seconds to go. And they're like, and that's the handwriting on the wall. Where did he get that from? That's from the book of Daniel. Because there's this weird story where the king, not Nebuchadnezzar, but his grandson, he throws this big party. 
He's celebrating and mocking all the gods that he's conquered and mocking his enemy who's outside the gates. Literally, King Cyrus, the king of Persia, was outside the gates. They had basically surrounded and began to siege the city. And the king thought, man, I will stay in here for years. We got food. We'll, we'll hang out. And so he throws a party in total arrogance. And in his arrogance, he brings out all the gods, temples and statues and all that. And when he brings out the, the God of Israel stuff, they're like, hey, there's no statue. Because the Jews didn't believe in a statue, right? Remember that whole, thou shalt not make a graven image thing? Yeah, yeah. But in, a temple, they, in the temple, they had like furniture. <laughs> so they had like a table and a, a candlestick and all, a plate. You know, they all this, so they're just like, bring, bring it all out. And so he's out there mocking the God of Israel. And then they all look and they see literally like a hand writing on the wall. This is a really cool story. And they're like, what is that? And they're like, oh, that's that ancient Hebrew language but nobody knows how to read it. And somebody says, you know what? And Daniel's old now at this point. And they said, you know what? Go get that old guy. <laughs> that old guy can read that stuff. I bet you money he can read that stuff. So they bring Daniel out and Daniel comes out and reads the handwriting on the wall. And the handwriting on the wall basically says, bro, you're finished. You're done. It's a stick of fork in you. You're done. He said, you've been judged and left wanting and your enemies will ransack this place. And sure enough, King Cyrus, what he had done is, is he, had put a, he had put basically like a reroute on the river Euphrates that ran through the city and that let the water go down to where they sent spies underneath um, the, the city walls and they invaded the city and opened the gates and they ran, they killed everybody. Anyway, a killer story, right? They saved Daniel. He's alive, just so you know. But the point is this, is this incredible journey, all these incredible, you know also in the book of Daniel are all these incredible prophecies about the coming Messiah, Jesus? Where do you think all those prophecies come from? They come from this, I'm telling you where they come from. All these incredible stories come from one simple moment where a kid drew a line in the sand and said, that's my guardrail, I'm done. I'm not gonna be like everybody, I'm not gonna do like everybody else. At some point, I want to be who God's called me to be and not go off the edge and become something I'm not supposed to be. And God used that. And here's the other thing I want you to get you to see is this, is that Daniel made up his mind before he knew how the story ended. Remember what cool stuff I told you about? He didn't know any of that stuff. He's a kid. He didn't know about the lion's den and the fiery furnace and the hand and the pride. He had no idea. But here's what I think he knew. What he knew is this. This is what I think. I think he knew if I keep going down that slope, where I live like the world lives, I embrace everything that culture says is okay, that I ride up next to the edge as close as I can. If I do all of that, I can predict the future and it will be bad. But if I set a guardrail, I have no idea what God might do if I'll just trust him. And here you see this kid. Now, what I did was this. Is I, I began to ask myself, okay, what did Daniel do? What was about his life? What was he all about that allowed him to establish such a great and incredible kind of guardrail and not just set it, but to keep it? And here's what I came up with. So I want to give you just a few things. If you're taking notes, this is application time. This is wrap-up time. This is the end of the series. Are you ready? Let's go. So how do you maintain your convictions? Number one, is everybody say Separation. Like, if, if you wanted to use a fancy word, you'd say sanctification. That's a big theology word. It just means set apart. It means you're different. At some point, you're going to have to recognize that if you set a guardrail, your coworkers might make fun of you, your buddies might laugh at you a little bit, somebody might think you're a little religious, a little nerdy, a little square, a little whatever, but you're like, that's cool, that's all right. I need to be different. I need to be separated. There's something about my life that needs to be distinct from the world because here, here's, you can't invade something you're a part of. You know what I'm saying? Like, you... God's wanting you to have an impact on the world. And the problem is that you're too much like the world to be different to the world so that you might not impact the world. You, you, you got to be apart from something to invade something. See, when you don't separate, you become like the thing that you're surrounded by. 
This is why there's this killer scripture in the, in the New Testament where it reflects on this guy named Lot. If you know the story of Lot, Lot was in this city called Sodom and Gomorrah, and we know that's really bad because God destroyed the city. But this is what it said about Lot. It said that Lot was vexed in his soul, meaning like he was calloused and hardened in his soul. And it says that he was vexed in his soul by the constant seeing and hearing of their lawless deeds. What I want to get you to see is this. When you, when you so embrace a culture, you become like it to the point that you become numb or callous to the sin or evil of the world that you become a part of. That's why you look, that's why there's certain things that I say and you're like, that's crazy, Todd. It could be that you're so like this world that you think that I'm weird. It might just be that I'm not an abnormal person living in a normal world. It might be that I'm a normal person living in an abnormal world. But for you to discover that, you need some level of separation. You got to be willing to be different. You got to be willing to be a little weird. You got to be willing to step out. You got to be willing to separate. Number two is this. Number two is discernment. Everybody say discernment. Discernment just means I see clearly. I think clearly. I like, I, I can figure things out. I see it for what it really is. See, I actually think that Daniel recognized what was going on. I think he was like, hold up, hold up. They're up to something. They're trying to change me. They're trying to influence me. They didn't change my name. They're changing my speech. They're changing my language. They're changing my dress. They're changing all these things. They're trying to change me. And he had the discernment to see what was actually going on. And do you know where you get discernment? There is no other way that you can gain discernment apart from the words of God. It's impossible to. Because see, here's the deal. A renewed mind, a mind that's like so dialed into the words of God, a renewed mind senses counterfeits and spots deceptions quickly. You can't get that unless you have the word of God in you. So if you don't have a habit and a daily diet of reading and meditating and memorizing scripture, you will always lack discernment. I can't help you with that. Like you, you have got to make some type of effort on your own to get into the words of God so that you can begin to see the world the way that it really is. Number three is this, is you need guardrail buddies. I don't know if you know this or not, but like Daniel drew the guardrail, but he had three other dudes backing him up. I'm just telling you that there's something about you committing to a life of godliness, committing to your wife, committing to a different way of living, committing to a different way of, of doing things, and then you being all alone, it gets really hard. The fact is you need other people to say, hey, man, I'm praying for you. Hey, that's awesome. Hey, I'm proud of you. Hey, you know what? I'm going to do that with you as well, and let's go that together. Because here, here's what I know. Like, um, sometimes I don't want to go to the gym, right? How many of you ever want to go to the gym? You're like, no, I don't want to go to the gym. Um, but, but here's the deal. When my buddy is at the gym and I know that if I don't show up to the gym that he's going to give me, yep, I, I got to go. Sometimes when my desire isn't there, my obligation is there. Are you hearing me? And this is what great friends do. Great friends help pick up the slack when there is no desire. They make you feel obligated, like, man, if I ain't in church, he's going to give me some heck. If I don't show up to Bible study, they're going to they're harass me. If I don't hit the gym, I'm going I'm to hear from me. These text messages, you know, about like, oh, you skipped leg day. Anyway, so my point is, is you need some great people around you if you want to actually hold to your convictions. Number four is this. This is so huge. Control your appetite. Now, let me, let me talk to you about this real quick here. I call this the hunger principle. Now, you need to get this. If, if you're dialing in with me, this is going to take a quick second. There's something about your appetite that you need to be very, very aware of. Like there's these principles to your hunger. And the biggest one that I can tell you is this, is that you hunger for what you feed on. 
Let me say it again. You hunger for what you feed on. And this is the way, this is why I knew this. When I was a young man, um, and, and I didn't have a wife <laughs> that cooked for me, and I didn't know any better. I, 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 when you're single and you're a bachelor, fast food is amazing, right? Because you don't want to cook. And so like, I lived my whole life eating fast food, and I remember like, loving it and longing for it. I would dream of a number five with no onion, no tomato. Like, I, man. <laughs> I had, I had like every, every fast food place, I knew the number. Like if you just say, hey, we're going to Taco Bell, but yeah, number seven, no tomatoes. And then add, and then add a gordita, add one more. So it didn't matter because I, I loved it. And because I loved it and that's all I ate on, I kind of longed for it. You know what I'm talking about? And then my wife showed up and said, Todd, you're going to die at 40 if you don't stop. And so I'm like, okay. So because literally all I did was I had, like, I had like a Starbucks for breakfast and I'd have fast food for lunch and then fast food for dinner. I don't think you'll live long on that diet. I'm just going to give you a heads up. Maybe, maybe that was the reason why God brought you here today. So, but, but what I realized was she starts feeding me all this healthy food and getting in. She's, she's added decades to my lifespan, by the way. You should all thank her. That's why I'm here today, probably. So, but, but here's the deal. I remember like thinking everything she gave me was gross. I was trying not to be like an awful husband and be like, I mean, I, I, I promise you, there were arguments, there were fights. They were like, dear God, woman, why did you put onions in my food? You know, like, I mean, like, it was bad. Because nothing that she made tasted good. Now, here's, here's what happened. Last one. Everybody, everybody say time. Time. What happens is, is over time, over time, if you learn how to control your appetite, what you'll discover is this. There was a point where like, I finally crossed the threshold to where I enjoyed what she made and it tasted better to me and I looked forward to that kind of food. And then I eventually crossed another threshold where even the thought of eating that food kind of upset my stomach a little bit. I'm like, oh my gosh, that stuff is so fattening and greasy and this and blah, blah, blah. And if you eat fast food, I love you. God bless you. We'll hug later. But my point is this, is you hunger for what you actually feed on. Now, there's this scripture. I'm going to close here quick. There's this scripture that in, in Proverbs that says this. This is a beautiful scripture. It says that the satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. The satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. Now, what does that mean? It means that when you're so full and you're so stuffed, like it's Thanksgiving and you wore stretchy pants because you thought it was like a, a competition, and you're so full that when they bring out the cheesecake or they bring out the apple pie, you're like, dang. I have a food baby. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And you're uncomfortable and you can't even like, that's what he's saying. He's like, when you're so full, you don't even want dessert. This is the principle of hunger. See, what happens to us is this. We start consuming the things of our world and we're so full and so satisfied with the things of this world that the things of God actually, we don't even have a taste for them. We don't desire those things. We don't long for those things. Why? Because you're so full in the world. I love you, but like you're so full, you're so consumed on the things of this world that the things of God, they don't, they're not even attractive to you. And what I'm telling you is this, is that you have to shift your appetite. What I'd actually like you to be is so full on the things of God that the things of this world no longer look appealing. That's how you control your appetite. And then lastly, it just takes time. Now, Daniel was doing this from day one, but you got to give the guy credit. He sticks to his guns. As a matter of fact, the, later, the reason why he gets in trouble is because he's praying three times a day and they say, hey, you can't do that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, uh, we're not rolling like that. You're not going to take that from me. He establishes another guardrail, sets another line in the sand. And I'm telling you, he lived his whole life this way. And what I'm telling you is this, is that you may not be like the master and commander of guardrails today, 
But if you will stay true, if you will stay steady, if you'll get some good guardrail friends, if you'll soak yourself in the word of God, if you will take and feed and feast on the things of God, I'm telling you, you build it up no, no different than you would build muscle. When you go up in the gym, you're not squatting 300 pounds on day one. You will die. You will be on a YouTube fail video. It will be hilarious, but you will not squat. I'm telling you, it takes time. You got to build those muscles. You got to build that conviction. You got to build those, those things in you. And if you do that, I'm telling you, you will be a person that catches the attention of God. And because of your wisdom, God's like, man, I can trust that. I can trust that woman. I can set her for success. I can do miracles through her. I can bless her. I can trust her. I can do so many. You can be the dude that sets the guardrail and God does incredible things with your life. And the apostle Paul said this, and we'll just close with this last scripture here. We'll bring it all the way back to the beginning. He says this, he goes, this is how I want you to live life. I want you to be careful. I want you to be thoughtful. I want you to be mindful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Let's pray this morning. So Father, I pray that God, we would be a people of wisdom, that we would be a people that draw lines, establish guardrails, that we have these healthy boundaries in us. It's not about sin, God. It's not about heaven and hell. It's not about any of those things. It's about living in your best. It's about setting our lives up in such a way that you can do more, bless more, go further through us and in us. That you could use us, that God, that, that incredible things, that, that like we'd have favor, that you'd give us increase because you can trust us. And so God, help us to be a guardrail people. Help us to be a people that establish something that we bump up into every once in a while. Right now, I want you to take 30, 60 seconds especially if you've been here over the course of the series, you know what I'm talking about. You need to ask the question, where do I need to establish a guardrail in my life? Where am I living close to the edge? Where am I on the brink of disaster? Where am I crossing lines that are totally sinful and I know better? They're gonna have major ramifications on my spouse, on my kids, my finances. I mean, I, I, I don't even know for you. This is a moment for you to pray. God, speak to me today. God, help me today. God, strengthen my resolve today. Give me the resolve of Daniel to not defile myself, to not step over an edge. More than likely, the Holy Spirit has already spoken to you. More than likely, it may even come up in a previous message if you were here. Where do you need to establish a guardrail? And hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get on that one quickly because it's the most urgently. But the wisest people in life they set guardrails before they know that they need them. They're just there as a form of wisdom. They are there to protect you from danger and to set you up for the most abundant life possible. So Father, I pray that you would bless these people, God, as they walk into this place. I pray that they would be people of resolve and conviction, Lord God, that they would establish these things in their lives but hold true to them, Lord God. And because of that, God, I pray your blessing over their life. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning, if you would. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.